Because man must must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me read from the word of God, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. Hear God's word. Paul writes, And in view of this, Thessalonian church, we always pray for you that our God will consider you worthy of his calling and will by his power fulfill every good desire, every desire for goodness and the work of faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two prayer requests, two goals. We're just going to break down these two verses with two prayer requests, two goals to help us pray for each other, and then two goals of our prayer requests, which actually are really one goal when you think about it. So here are the two requests. They're both in verse 11. What does Paul pray for? And what should we be praying for each other? And in view of this, we always pray for you that God, that our God will what? Consider you worthy of his, or count you worthy of his what? Calling. Calling. Okay, so that's the first prayer request. Pray for each other that God would count us worthy of his calling. Now, what does that mean? Well, this doesn't mean that we need to reach a certain state of holiness before God will call us to himself. This is not saying God is looking at the door, are you worthy, are you unworthy, as if you're saved by your works. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And yet, and yet, the prayer request here is not just the calling of God, but that you would be worthy of the calling of God. Now, what is this calling? Look at verse 5. You get an idea of this calling in verse 5. It is a clear evidence when you're persecuted of God's righteous judgment that you'll be counted worthy of God's kingdom. Again, there's that idea of being counted worthy in verse 5. And if you go to chapter 2, verse 14, it says, well, verse 13 first, the end of verse 13 says, you, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through the gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are called through the gospel into a relationship with God, into salvation, into eternal life, into glory. And so Paul's prayer request here in 2 Thessalonians 1.11 is that when you pray for other members of this church and you pray for other Christians or when someone asks you, how can I pray for you? You can say, pray that God would count me worthy. That he would consider me worthy of the calling he graciously gave me. Now, what is this calling? It's a calling through the gospel. If you remember Romans 8.30, you could listen to Romans 8.30 or you could turn there. I'm going to go to a few verses this evening. Romans 8.30 says this. To those he predestined, he also called. To those he called, he also justified. To those he justified, he also glorified. But notice, to those he predestined, he also called. In other words, when God foreknows and then predestines, and before he justifies you by faith, he calls you. How does he call you? Through the what? We read it in, yeah, through the gospel, right? So, as you are foreknown and predestined, we won't meditate on that right now, God calls you, and after he calls you, you're justified by faith. But what happens before you have faith? Faith comes by what? Hearing, Hearing the word of Christ. And so, you are called by the gospel, a pastor, a preacher, a friend gospelizes you. You're reading the Bible, you're getting gospelized as the Bible, as the gospel is being pressed on you and calling you to repent from your sins and trust in the gospel. 
And when there's two kinds of calls, there's a general call that goes to every Christian, every person everywhere that hears the gospel. So you could preach to 200 people in this room. That's a general call. But there's also something that is called the effectual call. This is not just the call of the gospel, but where God supernaturally through that call actually empowers you to turn from your sins and believe in him. So what's the difference between you hearing the gospel and a non-Christian when you got saved? Is it because you were better than them? You were wiser than them? More spiritual than them? Less sinful than them? No, the difference wasn't you. The difference was the effectual call of God. It's the grace of God that called you. And so Paul is saying, you've been called through this gospel, so now what do you need to do? Walk worthy of this call and then be counted worthy of this call. Now, we, we say, well, can you ever be worthy of God? No. Can you ever be worthy of the call in terms of being perfect? No. But in Ephesians 4.1, the command there is to walk worthy of the calling you have received. So in other words, can you grow in living more like Christ? Yes or no? Yes. yes. And are you called to live like Christ? Yes. yes. And so the more you grow, the more you walk worthily of the calling which was given to you. Again, God doesn't demand perfection, but this prayer request is basically a prayer, prayer request for spiritual growth. Pray that I would be counted worthy of the calling as God keeps growing me and changing me and killing sin in my life. That I would walk worthy of the call and that God would count me worthy. It's a difference to be counted worthy from a friend and from God, right? Because the church can see you and we can get to know you better than other people can if we see you every week, year in and year out. But even we can't see you perfectly, right? One of my, one of my I guess the current favorite pastor in, in the world today, in America, a very solid preacher, just, got, uh, just, just was publicly disqualified from ministry last week for inappropriate relationships with women. Not adultery, they said not adultery exactly, but still inappropriate enough in a pattern of his life over years that he had to step down from ministry. Now, if you would have asked me, you know, a few months ago, do you think this guy is worthy of the calling or in the sense of like, is he walking in line of it? Yeah, from the outside appearance. But apparently he had cultivated these bad habits and was left unchecked and wasn't walking worthy of his pastoral call. That's different than walking worthy of your Christian call, in a sense. But the point here is, you want God to count you worthy, not ultimately your church. Now, if God has counted us worthy, then those who love the Lord should also count us worthy. But our ultimate desire is not, what do other members of my church think? That's, that's a concern. That's a secondary concern. The main concern is, what does God think of my walk with him? I don't want you to beat yourself up over it. I just want you to... Ask others to say, pray for me, that I would, that God would consider me worthy of the calling that I've been called with. Okay, back to 2 Thessalonians 1. That's the first prayer request. Consider that God would consider us worthy of his calling. Again, this is not changing your position in Christ. It's working out the practicality of your position in Christ. Second prayer request in verse 11. Look at verse 11 again. What's the second prayer request? Somebody shout it out if you see it. That God will, by His power, do what? Fulfill every good purpose, Fulfill every good purpose and work of faith. And work of faith. Okay, so He's praying for fulfillment here. I want to be fulfilled. Yes, fulfilled in what? Every good purpose or every good desire and every work of faith. 
Now, do we naturally desire good apart from God's grace? Do you remember Romans 3.10? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who does good. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside and become useless. There is none righteous, no, not one. You could even go beyond that to Romans 8, where it actually says that the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And then it says this in Romans 8, 7. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow. They can't please God. Apart from God saving us, we cannot please God. Not from the heart. We might be able to do, help, an, help an old lady proverbially cross the street, and that's a good deed. But your heart was wicked even when you did that, and it doesn't please God before you're a Christian. That's a work of the flesh. But when God saves us, he changes us not just on the outside, but on the inside. He changes our heart. He writes his law in our heart. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And now we desire good desires that we didn't desire before. But are good desires enough for Paul? No. no. What's his prayer request here? God, give me good desires? No. But my prayer is that by God's power, he would fulfill every good desire. In other words, his prayer request is for good works, good deeds to be accomplished through good desires. I hope all of us could raise our hands if I ask this question, ask you to raise your hand. Did you have more good, des- good desires this week than you fulfilled? I hope you would raise your hand and say, yeah, there's a lot of good things that came across my mind. Oh, I should do this. This would really encourage that person. Or I should do this. This would really glorify God. And then we just never did it. Now, we can't do every good desire that comes across our minds, hopefully, because we should be thinking with lots of good ideas. But Paul's prayer request is that it would not only stay as good ideas, but that actually in our lives, we would actually do good things. And who would be the one to do that by whose power? It would be God, right? So we pray for each other. God, when my fellow church member has a good idea, don't let it just be a good desire, Father. Would you please fulfill it and push them all the way through to accomplishing it? That's a good prayer request. God, fulfill every good desire in my life and in the lives of my fellow church members. And every work of faith. When I have faith and I want to do something, faith without works is dead. But living faith produces works. And so the prayer request is, God, fulfill my faith so that it works. Fulfill my desire for good so that it actually becomes good for other people. That's a great prayer request. And if God answers that prayer request a hundred times more in the next month than he did in the last month for our church, we will be a big blessing to each other. And to those around us. And God, our Christ, would be exalted. And so that's the second prayer request. Pray for every good desire to be fulfilled. Now, that's two two prayer requests. Pray that we would walk worthy of the call, or that we'd be counted worthy of the call. Number two, pray that our good desires and works of faith would be fulfilled. That's the prayer requests. Now, what are the, what's the goal? The goals are, look at verse 12. You tell me the goal. So that what? Why, why these two prayer requests? In order that what? Right? Isn't it all about His glory? That Jesus would be glorified. And that's the goal of it all. That Christ alone would be glorified. Look at verse 10 of this chapter. When Christ comes again. In that day when He comes to be what? Glorified in His saints. And to be marveled at. Admired by all those who believed. We live for the glory of Christ. It's not about our glory. It's about Christ's glory. We don't live to exalt ourselves. We live to exalt Jesus Christ. And when we are fulfilling every desire for good, and it's by His power in the name of Christ, who gets the glory? God does. 
If we do it in our own strength and say, well, look at all the good I've done, and we're not praying to God, if we're not asking God for help, when we actually do the good by God's grace, we don't give God the credit. We just assume we did it on our own. Oh yeah, that's what I always do. I preach every Sunday. That's just kind of what I do. Well, that doesn't give glory to God. That tries to take glory from God. If God does any good from a sermon I preach, I need to be praying, God, fulfill it. If you don't fulfill it, it's not happening. And if, if, if it does happen and I don't pray it, then I think I did it. And I'm, I'm the deceived one. Pray for me. I'm the fool for thinking it came from my own power. And so we want Christ to be glorified. And why? Jesus says, when you see me, you see who? The Father. Because we want God the Father to be glorified. And when Christ is glorified, the Father is glorified. And you say, okay, yeah, PJ, you didn't tell me anything new. That's the goal of our prayers. Well, I think the second part of verse 12 actually is new. Maybe. Look at verse 12 again. There's a second purpose for our prayers. So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you. And you... You what? You be what? Glorified by who? By Him. So here's a second purpose why you pray these for fulfillment of your desires and for being considered worthy of the call. So that who would be glorified? You. You do it for your glory. It's like, whoa, that sounds... I mean, your Christian sense, your God-centeredness in you goes like, that sounds wrong for my glory? So that I would be glorified. It's not about me being glorified. It's about Christ being glorified. Well, what does the text say? That we would be glorified by Christ. Does this mean that we're competing with God? A glory competition? Who's more glorious? Jesus or us? Is that what's going on here? No, obviously not. Maybe it's just a secondary glory. A parallel to Christ's glory, but unrelated. No. What is this saying then? What does it mean that we would be glorified? You know, I was doing my devotion. I, I, we talked about this two weeks ago, right? With where, where it said that those who die or the servant. We talked about the, the grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying. And we talked about all of those will be honored by my father. We talked about the father honoring us. Not just us honoring the father, but the father honoring us. And here you have the idea of not just us glorifying Jesus, but Jesus glorifying us. What is that about? I quoted this verse earlier. Let's uh, let's go back to it. Romans 8.30. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. glorified. Ah, what does it mean then to be glorified? It means to receive your glorious body. It means to be free from sin. It means to reflect the glory of Jesus perfectly in our lives. And as we grow more in our holiness, as we grow in transformation, we're actually growing in glorification, even now. We're becoming more and more glorious the more we reflect Christ. And so when we're glorified, we're made to look more like who? Christ. And so when people see us, who are we displaying? Christ. And so when we're glorified and displaying Christ, who's ultimately being glorified? Christ. So it's not a competition. It's not two different glories. It's actually, may Jesus Christ be glorified directly through our lives. And as we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, people see Christ in us. And who gets the glory for that? Christ does. So let's pray that we would be glorified. Not in the sense that we would be worshipped. But that through people seeing us, they see the glory of Christ in our glorification. So that Christ would be glorified in the sense of worshipped. Does that make sense? 
That's what we want at the end of the day. We want Christ to be glorified. I'll close by reading this verse, and then we'll pray. Oh, well, it looks like we've got a few minutes here. Um, John 17, 21 to 26. Actually, turn there. We'll close with this. What does it mean for us to be glorified and for Christ to be glorified through us? John 17, 21 to 26. I hope you're there. This is Christ's prayer right before he's crucified Friday morning. This is Thursday night, high priestly prayer. John 17, 21. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the what? The glory you have given me. So there's glory to us. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. You know those little Russian dolls, right? (laughs) I am in them and you're in me. So the Father's in the Son and the Son is in us. Okay? What verse is that? That's in verse 23. May they be, be made completely one. Why? So that the world may know that you what? You have sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my what? Glory. You'll see the glory of Christ, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known. So the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. I'm giving them my glory so that they could see my glory that you've given me. So that as I'm in them and you're in me, so you're in them, they would love and glorify me perfectly and expandingly, increasingly, forever and ever and ever. May we be glorified so that Christ would be glorified in us as we pray for each other. One, that we would be considered worthy of the calling. And two, that God would fulfill every good desire and work of faith by his power.